that you're born an Italian If you want your life to be great See that you're born an Italiano And your life will be great Hey there, Paisani, and welcome back to the weekly dose of Italian-American heritage, history, and hilarity that we call the Italian-American Podcast. I'm John Viola, joined today by my partner in crime, the Italian-American Wikipedia, Mr. Patrick O'Boyle. And as of yesterday, June 21st, summer is officially here. And I want to make sure I take just a brief moment before we start today's episode to follow up for everybody out there. If you may recall, we had a great interview a couple weeks ago with the gentleman behind the Italian Bowl, the Super Bowl of Italian football coming here to the United States on July 1st. And if you are looking forward to something really unique and are looking for some 4th of July plans, we promised you there'd be a discount code. We have it now available to you. If you go to ItalianBowlUSA.com, the secret code is IAP. Very simple to remember, IAP, Italian American Podcast. That'll save you $5 off every ticket you buy. And uh, keep in mind, that may not seem like a huge number, but tickets only range from $15 to $30. So it's a very, very significant discount. And I hope it encourages everybody out there to consider going out to Toledo, Ohio and seeing this unique game, because as you heard a few weeks back, there's some great people involved in this amazing effort to bring Italian culture and a unique American hybrid of Italian culture here to the United States for the first time in 42 years. So it's a nice reversal of the normal kind of summer trend of uh, we Italian Americans, maybe the lucky ones uh, going back to the motherland for a summer trip to Italy. And that actually got me to thinking because, uh, Pat, you and I used to go to Italy all of the time. And uh, recently we've been kind of cooking up some potential excuses for us to go back. But when was the last time you were back in Italy? Pre COVID. Really? Yeah, the last time the last time we went was summer of 2019, right? Or 2018. I guess I don't even remember to be honest. Yeah, that August of 2018, we were there for um the party in Grucciano. Wow, that's a lot. Well, we got to make an effort to go back. As we were saying on the last recording, you know, I've been focusing on this idea of uh seeing some off the beaten path places. I always felt like we were good about discovering off the beaten path places, but I, I want to take a another level and uh, start to kind of find even more hidden gems because you can only go to the same places so much and you, you want to keep digging. Uh, so I got some ideas in my head. You've never been to Calabria, right? That's the one region I've never gone to. I mean, I never went to Sardinia either, but for some reason, Calabria is daunting because I know so many people and I want to see so many places. It's not for lack of interest. Some really interesting stuff. I don't know. I think that's the next uh kind of destination for me the regions that i haven't really discovered yet you know and i, and I want to go to benevento too i've never been to benevento that's a deep dive yeah i've never gone there as well but there's a lot of places to see there yeah our guest coming up today is actually leading a program on the hidden gems of italy i'm gonna bring her in here in a second she's born in rome viviana altieri is the founder of istituto mondo italiano in pittsburgh pennsylvania which is an organization she started a little over 10 years ago that's a cultural center a language school really creating an authentic Italian experience for anybody who loves or wants to learn about the Italian culture and language. And uh, she's also the host of the Italian Radio Hour, which is uh, a show that comes out weekly. So she's in the, the business like we are and knows the ups and downs of trying to put out good content every week and uh, how varied the topics are when it comes to talking about the beautiful country that we call our motherland. 
in Italy. So I'm very happy to welcome Viviana Altieri to the Italian American podcast. Welcome aboard. Thank you very much, uh, uh, Pat and John. The pleasure is all mine. Uh, to I'm just a little green in the sand. You guys are just, uh, you are the, the super professionals that have been uh, carrying on at this, uh, this mission for much longer than uh, I've done myself. And I uh, look up to you guys. So, Wow, that's high praise. Uh, I've Say never... that again. <laughs> we're a professional, Pat. You are the professionals. You are the ones, you know, that have set the stage and the standards for many uh, of us that uh, have joined the mission of uh, share what Italy has to offer. Uh, stories about Italians, uh, Italians in Italy, Italians in the U.S., and Italian Americans. Because you have visited uh, Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh, the city of bridges. So, we're oh, so are we getting in- points for going to Pittsburgh? Well, no, yes, of course, uh, but also in the idea of bridging all these different sfumature, all these different shades of Italianness that uh, everyone has got to experience. And uh, so I think our profession will be secure for many decades because there is so much and every every week that uh, we look at new content is so fascinating. You just want to learn another step. You want to add another layer and you discover more about what has been done and about yourself, uh, about how to project the culture to the new generation, so. I couldn't agree with you more, and I love so much of what you said, because first and foremost, you've expressed the appreciation for the different variations in this diaspora. So many times people want to question each other's authenticity, which is a word I hate, or Italianness, and criticize and tear each other down, and they don't really appreciate the amazing sociological and anthropological differences in the varying shades of Italianità in this diaspora and the idea of building bridges of really learning about yourself. That's something that I've always taken from this. I find this show very therapeutic. I learn a lot about why I am like I am. I find commonalities. I find inspirations. So it's wonderful to hear someone else doing the same work, growing in the same direction, appreciate those aspects of kind of why we all do what we do. It's nice to feel like we have uh, an ally in the mission. And you're absolutely right. I mean, Pat and I talk about this all the time. Pat used to think we might run out of topics. That was my biggest fear starting this. Yeah, not anymore. And if we did a daily show for the rest of our lives, we wouldn't even scratch the surface. <laughs> yeah, it'd be a headache to organize and edit, but the topics are there. There's so much to talk. I mean, we, we get so many people writing us with interesting projects and books and uh, stuff that they're working on or interesting topics. And it's just such a wealth, you know, and uh, how long have you been doing the podcast? Well, um, I started about a year ago. And uh, so initially it was a radio program. And then I guess you get more mileage uh, going with a podcast um, because not everyone uh, listens to the radio at a specific time anymore, especially since a lot of people started to work from home. So that commute where you would be listening to the radio kind of has been uh, taken away from from us as a regular habit. And uh, and then also um, we have a YouTube channel. So the same interviews um, uh, can be seen because uh, uh, whether it's um, we're featuring uh, also interesting professions like last year, I was in Cremona with a master lutaio uh, building and talking about violins. So uh, it was very nice to be able to uh, show his craft and I uh, was also in Sardinia, which I really hope that you guys will get to uh, visit soon. I've been to Sardinia and I actually had a friend in Rome that I got to see while I was there a couple of weeks ago. They were heading to Sardinia for like two weeks and they were asking me about it. And I said, you know, 
make every effort to go to the interior. So many people will stop at the coast and, mm-hmm. you know, the resorts are beautiful, but it's such a fascinating and unique place. And talk about different versions of Italianita. I mean, it, you've mm-hmm. got Catalan speaking corners of the island. And have you visited all 20 of the regions? Uh, this year, um, I'm accomplishing that uh, goal. So uh, we're going to go to Venice first, which I've been uh, many times, but my husband hasn't been there yet. Then we will go off the beaten path in uh, Friuli. Don't ask me where, because I kind of don't plan my vacations. I let the locals direct me to uh, the places I should go and things I should be doing. And then we're going to just cross over to go to Val d'Aosta. Um, we have seen the regions in between. And at that point, I'll put a little flag on my map. <laughs> wow, that's impressive. I, I have to think about where I am on the 20 regions list. I think I'm pretty close. Depends on how oh, much John, time. John, if you didn't make them all, I mean, there's no way know. you haven't gone to them all. I don't know. I'd have to go through it. I, like I've passed through some of like the Val d'Aosta, you know, driven through and route to different places. but actually explored i don't know i'd have to that, i have to think about that that'd be interesting viviana you were telling me off the mic that you have an annual tradition with your brother where you take uh sidecar vespas on long trips to italy that sounds incredibly fascinating and uh where are you going this year well this year we're going to replicate the camino de santiago obviously we will not be driving on the path that is dedicated to people that are walking it and bicycling it but uh, we are gathering with uh, about another dozen uh, Vespa riders from Avola in Sicily, very famous for the Nero d'Avola wine. Mm-hmm. And uh, we'll be meeting in Rome, load up the vehicles. And then before we know, we'll be heading to Barcelona and the adventure will start for a couple of weeks. Now, there's two Barcelona, the Sicilian Barcelona, the Spanish <laughs> Barcelona. The Spanish, and uh, as I said, there will be different experiences because usually it's just my brother and uh, me uh, traveling. So we're looking forward to sharing uh, this adventure with our uh, fellow uh, riders. And also we're going to try to replicate some of the conditions of people that do the pilgrimage. So it's not going to be a five-star hotel. So it's going to be kind of a, a more laid-back, low-keyed. Um, it is no sin in having a pilgrimage with a five-star hotel. Exactly. <laughs> you can do <laughs> Camino. You could do the Camino <laughs> with the Hilton. There's no problem with that. Monsignor O'Boyle says so. Uh, I mean, yeah. listen, certain people are called to different vocations. Some people are called to, like, sleep on hay and walk barefoot on the Camino. I'm not on that committee. <laughs> if the hotels are nice and the food is good, I'm game. We should do that one day, John, the Camino. I would love to. You know, Pat and I did a... nice hotels and good food. Okay. I, I can't say no to that. Pat and I did a trip to Rome for the order one time. I'll never forget. It was a all-chapters conference, so everybody, all the delegations from around the world were coming together in Rome. It was really beautiful from a religious perspective because we had mass at the altar of St. Peter's. We walked the Holy Steps. We we really had a great time. Mm -hmm. But the order's leadership in Rome had arranged for everybody to stay in a pilgrim's hotel, kind of in the outskirts of the city. And it was, I have to say, kind of prison-like. I mean, it was was an act of penance in itself. (laughs) It was really. For for our listeners out there, a a nota bene asterisk, we checked out that night. Yeah, we did. We weren't we at were that like, penitential. No. We were yeah. out the door. Yeah. I always admire that Princess Beatrice stuck it out. She stayed there. She didn't. We fled and she stayed there. Well, and... She's a leader. And God yeah. bless her. That's <laughs> what kings and princesses do. They lead from the front and they are on battleships. And But you and I, John, we didn't sign up for that committee. 
No. We got plenty of titles with no battle experience <laughs> or requirements. Yeah, that was not. I mean, I don't mind roughing it, but that place was was definitely uh it was creepy. It was a cre- creepy vibes. It was like a jail converted into a hostel. It was not not the kind of place I wanted to be spending many nights. It was like if purgatory was a hotel. <laughs> yes, it was. It wasn't really like a hot because like hostels are supposed to be fun, right? They're all young kids. No. Right. Just... So that's more is that hell? I don't know. Depends on what your view of hell is. I mean, there's really bad hotels that are hell. Yeah, this is bad. And that hotel, I mean, it was it was you could sleep in it, but it wasn't John and Pat quality. I gotta imagine when you're taking the Vespa trip around different parts of Italy or in this case Spain, is it like it is here where you cannot utilize the highways, the outdoors, like you on all back roads? Uh, no, no, no. We can actually use um, uh, the highways. We're trying to limit that uh, because it's also part of the experience to roll down the hills and 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 so forth. And uh, but um, um, you know, I grew up on two wheels, so it was way too expensive to uh, pay for gas when you're just a high school student or beginning of uh, uh, university and also your parents are very protective of their vehicles <laughs> and uh, so as, as soon as I could get my little moped permit um, there's always been like that and when I came to the U.S. I kind of over, overdid it uh, not in a bad way but I do have a 1200 a Suzuki Bandit and that's for the real trips wow uh, it's uh, short and fast <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's yeah, that's that's a little bit more engine than a Vespa, right? That's uh... yeah, absolutely. My husband would not get on it, so I had to get another Vespa here in the U.S. And uh, so we're kind of cruising around over the weekend, and it kind of feels like we're back home. So that's awesome. I've always wanted to do back roads travel in Italy, and you know, to kind of avoid the highway route. You have to have a very uh, agreeable and accommodating spouse, I think, because there's a lot of kind of misadventure to it. So, and that's why you do it with your siblings and not kidding. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that I'll do it, Pat. Yeah, that that yeah, as long as I find five stars along the route, what we'll became be okay. of Pat? I'm a now now. I said with Pat. Oh, with Pat. Okay. <laughs> I'm always getting no. blamed for something. No, I didn't make you a noun. Don't blame worry. Blame him for something no, else. I'm not blaming you. No, I said I'll do it with Pat. You know, get and we've done some off road stuff there, but you know, you can stay in a nice agroturismo in Italy. Yeah, definitely. The food is good. The place is nice. Yeah. I just don't want to stay in a proto-jail. In Galera anymore. In Galera. <laughs> you don't want to be in the jail anymore. I don't blame you. But even in that dumpy hotel, the food was still wasn't bad. No, food was good. That's Italy. Even in the dumps, you can eat well. Yeah, that's true. I got stuck in a restaurant this trip when I was in Rome, and uh, a place that I thought I was going to take my in-laws and their neighbors are Italian. Their neighbors in, in New York are Italian, but they were visiting Italy too. So we met up with them and, uh, you know, it was hard to get a table for nine, 10 people. And the restaurant that I wanted to go to near uh, Monte Cittoria had closed and it didn't say online that it had closed. So we all walked over there and it was closed permanently. And so we kind of struggled to find a place and uh, we actually had a disappointing meal. It was like such a touristy restaurant that the meal was disappointing. It was only the second time I've had a bad meal in Italy, actually. And I can remember them both very, very distinctly. And uh, it was like shocking to everybody. But yeah, usually nine out of 10 times, especially if you're off the beaten path, you're going to eat really, really well. I mean, we ate in my father-in-law's town in Pescacero in Abruzzo, one mm-hmm. of the best meals I've ever had in my life in this mm-hmm. restaurant that we found. So Did you get some arrosticini as well along the way? I had so many arrosticini in Abruzzo that I'm going to turn into an arrosticino. I, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, how can you beat you know, char grilled, beautiful lamb with little chunks of fat in between. I love lamb and I love fat. They are my oh, two favorite things. 
I love Abruzzo. I'm like completely devout son-in-law and I love the town and I love the cuisine. It's hearty peasant food, really mountain driven, interesting, bitter greens and beans. And you can go anywhere in any small town and probably find a decent meal. And uh, we presented actually um, one of the programs that we run at, uh, uh, we are running at Istituto Mondo Italiano is the Hidden Gems of Italy, as you had mentioned before. And uh, this past Sunday, we we focus on Central Italy. So obviously, uh, Abruzzo uh, was uh, featured, hopefully, in a most glamorous way. But, uh, you know, I didn't know when Abruzzo is one of those regions that I kind of uh, explore also on, on my own about amazing gold traditions in the Abruzzese culture, uh, not only by this uh, jewel that looks almost like a sundial that is called Presentosa and is usually gifted by either the uh, groom to the bride and has two hearts or sometimes by very generous in-laws because that can be very big. It can be very small, but also very big. But then also, uh, you know, the infamous uh, from Teramo, the spaghetti alla chitarra con le pallottine, teeny, mm-hmm. teeny, tiny meatballs. It took me forever to make them last week. <laughs> and uh, so whenever we are looking at traditions of what, you know, Italian food became Italian-American, and sometimes people might say, eh, we really don't do that. You know, there, there has to be a grain of truth somewhere, you know. Um, and um, as I said, maybe that's the origin that we can trace back to. Are you talking about spaghetti and meatballs? Yeah. Yeah. Hey, listen, Italy is full of a lot of jerks. I don't want to offend you. They all hunt down roe. So, for instance, like they go off about there's no chicken. Italy doesn't serve chicken with pasta. Would you say that's true? Uh, probably. I think the combination of carbs and proteins on the same plate might not be as real. But I'm not saying yes or no. We do what we don't do because you might do it. Uh, you might not do it somewhere. And then somewhere else is the dish of the region. So exactly. one town. I think people have to be humble and say we don't know everything. Because as you know, Italy has been conquered by uh, so many different cultures that Talking about uh, Italian food as a whole is almost an oxymoron because every region, every town, every family does things differently. So uh, we have to maybe open up some books or the internet and start digging out where these traditions came from. And there is one, for instance, that I was not uh, familiar with when I came here. Uh, close outside Pittsburgh, there is a town is called Aliquipa. And they're very famous for their San Rocco Festival that ends up with a doll dance, uh, which is these humongous structures that have like little firecrackers shooting. And I think it's the highlight of uh, of the festival. And I had a student who um, was involved with the festival. So she told me, oh, you must know about the doll dance. And I was like, I am really not familiar with that. So I started Googling and I would get the blessing of the dolls. I would get a lot of things. And this thing, it was not resting with me. I mean, it's just, I don't let things go. I'll, you know, I'll record it, I'll file it, and then I'll come back to it. Um, about a year later, uh, we were hosting my uh, nephew, um, born in Rome, raised in Rome. His um, maternal grandparents are from Abruzzo. And coincidentally, at the History Center, there was a, a concert by a group from Abruzzo. And I told Leonardo, I don't know if you want to come, you know, um, there's not going to be anyone of your age. He was 16 at that time. It's like, no, 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 no. It will remind me of, you know, no, no, no. So he came, first of all, he could understand everything that the musicians sang in, in dialect. And then I said, 
you know, I see you're quite, uh, you know, knowledgeable about uh, Abruzzese uh, traditions. Have you ever heard about a doll dance? I said, oh, yeah, the town next to, uh, you know, my grandparents, they do it all the time. And I say, okay, so, and then when I went to Abruzzo and then you go to Pescara, the first thing that you see in the museum is these beautiful uh, dolls. So again, unless people have traveled throughout all the regions and then extensively, I would just record the information yeah. and educate yourself. So that that's why it's the, the idea of bridging uh, the different experiences because mine as a Roman is going to be very different from someone even from Frosinone or somewhere else. So uh, we have to be very understanding of each other's differences and actually seeing them as opportunity of learning something. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Viviana, know why I was giving you a hard time? Because John and I are beaten up constantly. That's why going to Italy becomes annoying with certain Italian intellectuals. Because we're stupid. If you're born in America, you're dumb by nature. <laughs> so they give me and John, Ma conosci la lasagna? That was the breaking point for me. <laughs> and the reason I bring it up is, Viviana, I want to congratulate you. Yeah. You are more American now than Italian. Because you live <laughs> here. So whenever you say something in Italy now, you're like contaminated. <laughs> it's like we rubbed off on you. The reason I say is I want to arm you because you're a classy lady, Viviana. We could see that. You're classy. You're educated. So you need a little New Jersey street roughness to protect you when you go to Italy. They have a national obsession with spaghetti and meatballs. Like, that's what we all eat every day. Like, oh, John, did you have spaghetti and meatballs yet? There are some towns in Caserta, and I, the Aversa area of Caserta, or maybe more up to Caserta proper, mm -hmm. that make... Tagliolini, make very thin egg pasta tagliolini mm -hmm. with small, tiny meatballs the size that they are a marble, right? Mm -hmm. Now, if you want to get into a long intellectual conversation, if the did the tagliolini turn into spaghetti? Did the meatball grow in America? That's an academic conversation. But you can't say in Italy that this this does not exist. That's why I say the other thing in Italy, in America, they make chicken with the pasta. There's a town in Foggia called Alberona. In Alberona, mm -hmm. their festive dish is a ragu made with chicken. So the mm -hmm. reason I'm saying is every time Italy sends a rocket over us, I'm like a Reagan-era Star Wars system. <laughs> it wants to blow that rocket up midair. And I'm just telling you, Viviana, why people like you are so important is you have a foot in both worlds. Mm -hmm. And you can speak both languages. But it just becomes so taxing. John, would you agree with that? You think I'm going off on a tangent? Yeah, he, he no, beats no, me I, up for I, about tangents. No, I think you're right. I mean, I, I you know, I, I have this conversation a lot, and I love that there's somebody out there in Viviana and in uh, the institute that she runs working under the same premise, which is like, you know, you don't know what you don't know. I always kind of felt gross when somebody would cast like a blanket statement over what all Italians are. You know, that's just not it doesn't work. They, this it doesn't work, right? And there's and that there's places that are no longer part of Italy where Italians live, like in Dalmatia and Istria and things like that. They're they're still Italian. They do things their way. And I think it's beautiful to find a tradition here in the United States and then trace it back. So like the baby doll dance 
I think they do that in Youngstown, Ohio, too, I, I want to say. They do it in multiple places. They actually yeah. do it in Spearlinga in Calabria. Eric was telling me they do a camel. Yes. So that the, the fireworks are attached to a camel. Oh, but um, Al Quippa, that St. Rocco feast, I think they make these big, huge dorals and stuff like that. Al Quippa is a special place. Our listener, Mark Rednetti, that's that's his neck of the woods. And there's so many Italian traditions that survived here that died out in Italy. Yeah. And that's a natural thing that's just happened. It's just that I know John and I get, because we, we get beat up so many times by, in America, you have created, this is not authentic, you know. And that's, I think that's the number one beauty of Italy is that everywhere you go, it's different. And they're going to argue that it's the best, which is kind of like the cute beauty of Italy. You know, like even Genovese, like which was probably after Ragu, the signature Sunday pasta dish of Naples. It changes from neighborhood to neighborhood in Naples. And they get very defensive about it. And they go through like um, these, they go on these tangents like, well, you didn't cut the onion in the correct way. In my neighborhood, the onion is cut <laughs> this way. You know, and that's the beauty. You know, we go there and that's the kind of stuff that we enjoy. But Viviana, I think that you, you, you're a class act and you're doing a class act educational bridging of two worlds. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious to know. I love the, you've got a lot of programs. You've got language programs. You've got culinary programs at the Institute. But uh, you're doing these hidden gems, which is a big theme for me these days and uh, I'm very curious to know could you give us a little insight into like some of the hidden gems maybe what kind of hidden gems you're pulling out there um actually um as far as hidden gems of uh, um some other places that we just covered like Cascate de la Marmora uh, man-made uh, waterfalls that had a on and off switch so to speak and things that have been built by the Romans and just kind of uh, um appreciate the wonders of how those structures were built when we didn't have the engineering aid and knowledge that we have nowadays. Or for instance, in, uh, in Sardinia is going to be a path of uh, hidden gems based by um, artisans. And uh, so um, pretty much every stop along our uh, itinerary in uh, in Sardinia for these hidden gems presentations is um, featuring high um, artisans uh, because that's how my journey started. I had set up a meeting with uh, uh, two people, one-way ticket. I didn't know how long I was going to be there. I only had a rental car and two nights booked. If I get two, three nights, I feel already constrained. <laughs> <laughs> You're a real traveler. And uh, uh, so, and I usually do these exploratory trips either by myself. Um, I love road trips, um, or also with my husband if the dates, the vacation times uh, coincide, because he's from Turkey, so he has also to spend some time with his family. But uh, so, what I was looking for, I had found this uh, lady who calls herself a contadina, but she she was actually uh, raised. I mean, the family didn't have land, so she was raised in the culture of you know. Uh, uh, farming um, but she's a very knowledgeable lady because there was a type of pasta that's what I where my niche is uh, this called hair of god it's Filindeo. and there are only a handful of people in the world that are still making it it's a very challenging pasta to make and almost uh, seasonal because the heat will influence the outcome of uh, the pasta if you can manage to to get to so we scheduled a couple of days together and she said, oh, by the way, I'll take you to the guy that does uh, pasta wheels. And then he said, oh, have you gone to the uh, artisan that makes the copper uh, 
uh, still works the copper. And then someone else says, have you gone to the music garden? Have you gone to the Sagra food festivals in Italy? That's also another way of discovering the true soul of uh, uh, some of the local specialties and traditions. And then the mammutones, uh, you know, these uh, uh, exhibitions with people that have sheep-like skins and huge bells that I had seen only in books on, on the internet growing up that I was always fascinated. So these are things that uh, um, we want to share with, uh, with our audience so that they can go and experience, um, trying to create similar experiences. The good side and the bad side of uh, the globalization of tourism is that, you know, once it's a, an experience gets on Instagram, TikTok, wherever it is, then there's going to be a million people wanting to do exactly the same thing for no reason but to take their shot next to what has tags. Um, this is happening, uh, it will be happening in uh, all the airports in, in Italy where there's going to be cutouts of Venus because that's the new symbol of a rebranding campaign that is coming out. Um, so I would love for people, yes, take a selfie, I'll probably do the same thing. But look at who was Botticelli. Well, what else, you know, uh, can you find out that adds just one extra layer to that selfie, that experience that lasted three seconds, but you want to make memories when you go to Italy. It's so funny. We, um, we recorded when I got back from Italy, just an episode catching up me, Pat and Rosella. And we talked about that exact same phenomenon because, you know, especially after COVID, we're all from the South. We've always talked about the uptick that the South was experiencing in tourism, a lot of it driven by social media, people searching out these views. And then obviously COVID hit and you wondered if it would rebound. And, and from all uh, indicators, it's not only rebounded, it's surpassed where it was. And a lot of these undiscovered places are now discovered. And I was uh, saying that I was in Naples and Rome during my trip. And I've never seen Naples as busy as I saw it. I mean, you know, lines everywhere. Rome was packed to the gills. I know it's your hometown. And I was having a conversation with a taxi driver in Rome, and he was saying it's becoming almost unbearable for the Romans. And, you know, there's a fine line between the benefit of the tourism dollars and just the quality of life of how people live in these places. And, you know, you, the hope is that you can navigate that and share the underexposed experiences and draw some eyeballs and attention and resources to those. But at the same time, it's like watering a plant. You don't want to overwater that plant either because then you're going to drown it. And so it's a really fine needle to thread in trying to direct people and uh, give them new experiences. So they're not just there taking the exact same picture 2 million other people took the day before. I mean, you know, you want to, you want to encourage people to dig deep, but at the same time, you want to protect and preserve the fragility of some of these destinations. It's, it's difficult. I, I don't envy the Italians, the position that they have in, in world tourism, you know? Well, it, it depends. Like a, um, we had a guest last week on our program and uh, she's a food guide and uh, her specialty is to take people in Venice, um, per Bacari, places where you can experience cicchetti. Cicchetti are like finger foods and, uh, and so forth. And she was talking about how Venice before had some sort of a season um, where you still had the city for yourself for a couple of months to the Venetians. 
and it's been nonstop for the last year and a half. The same thing also with uh, with Rome during COVID. Finally, we could see the monument, so we could. Uh, um, but uh, the, the one thing that she said is like again, um, I think it's a common thread. Be try to be a local, uh, try to be an explorer more than a consumer of that city. And because of technology, we don't engage in even uh, small talk with the locals anymore. And when I go to Italy, although I do have to rely on the GPS, but sometimes when I see, uh, I'm like keen on the older gentleman, you know, at uh, playing cards at the uh, the local bar, I will stop and ask them for directions before, you know, not only will I get directions, but I will get an inside of the town and probably the best places to go and visit. But now, because that, you know, even asking for directions, you know, who who does that anymore? And my husband is saying, you, you talk to anyone, like in a way that, you know, it depends on the situation. So it might be a little too much, but it's like, that's how you learn, you know? And if you don't talk to the locals, you know, yes, you can read guidebooks, you can see in a ton of pictures, but they're the soul, uh, the anima of those uh, those destinations and 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 you know in bigger places like Rome yes once you have done your uh, monument packed itinerary take the time to just sit and do some people watching um, with the students who have been doing all the uh, some common you know hand gestures and so forth um, see if you recognize any of them because when I was uh, living in Turkey with my husband, my Turkish is just enough to get myself in and out of trouble. Mm. I became a huge people observer. And we would go to restaurants with other uh, friends and family, but it would be very unnatural for people who are native of a, of a language to engage in social family interaction in the foreign language, which would have been English at that point. So I would just stare at the table uh, long enough that I would say, you know, to my husband, I think she's going to, you know, like, how do you know? Like, give it a second. And indeed, people were going to, they did exactly what I had predicted. And it's the same thing to kind of take the time if you're in Piazza Navona or anywhere, just that local bar for spritz or cafe, build a routine to go always to the same coffee shop and be part of that fabric that neighborhood that town for a few days and so just hopping 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 and uh yeah and especially if people are students of the italian language um you know even if um they don't feel super comfortable having a full-blown conversation you know they can always share the little bit they have learned um always pick up something new that is going to say yes you know i managed to talk to someone for five minutes or a cab brother in Italian and it kind of again that creates memory that just depends on the experience in my humble opinion let me ask you a question where is your family were, were they always in Rome or, or did your family migrate from other parts of Italy to Rome uh that is uh that's a good question uh my dad is from Foggia my mom was from Trinitapoli in the province of Foggia they went to med school my dad studying in uh the University of Naples and then they met in Milan, uh, they spent some time there, and then eventually they uh, moved to Rome. So my siblings and I were all born in Rome. But we do have uh, a ton of relatives in Puglia, Bari, and uh, other regions. So uh, definitely uh, the influence is there, and also the grandmother from uh, uh, 
uh, Avellino, and um, so a little bit of uh, we're in Avellino. Was your, oh, uh, I, I bet you the Ariana area because that borders yeah. Foggia. I can't, I can't really be specific on where. I just know that she was from um, Avellino. Uh, Viviana, shame on you. I love, <laughs> How do you not so... know this? You're the big Italian professor. Shame on you. But because we never thought about, you know, when we say- well, you got to make this like a priority. Something. you got to oh make God, this a priority. Gonna, my dad is going <laughs> to- I will definitely ask him as soon as- uh... You know, Stephanie's like the queen of Avellino. I know, gonna, I know. You're going to lose a lot of points. Your, your stock were... is plummeting right now. Yeah, Stephanie and I had a good chat the other day. So, um, yeah, so she's going to forgive me for that. <laughs> you got to come back on and you got to tell us we're in Avellino. That's right. Okay. I just the street, the civic number. Exactly. follow up, I'm sure. I'll, 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 take, I'll take homework. Yeah. <laughs> I bet you're from that area around Ariana because a lot of Avellino borders fall you. There's a lot of back and forth there. Mm -hmm. That's I found out I have relatives there because my I didn't know my grandmother who's Pugliese from Body uh, was telling me that her grandmother, I had no idea, was from Avellino. And of course, you know, not really understanding the geography perfectly. I, I thought that was really odd. And, and then I got to learn about the fact that that's all part of her pina. And you know, Stephanie has done the research to prove, I, I think we're related, right, Steph? You and I through that Avellino ancestor, is that right? Yes, we are through our fourth great grandparents through marriage. So it is definitely part of the family now with you and me. So. There you go. So we're in, through marriage, yes. Stephanie and I are related. Through yes. our fourth great grandparents. From the next town over from mine. It was really cool because there's a lot of intermarriage between Guardia Lombardy and Sant'Angelo di Lombardi. So you're like right from this area of the two towns that's in dispute. Oh, wow. That's always been. It's a pretty cool thing because like they just, there was really no border. So you're actually from that section where people just kind of walk across and they're all intermarried i'm from the i'm from the from the the no fly zone yeah you basically but it's really cool because you consider yourself guardiers as well so all right so there you both. go yeah oh, no no well what an honor and to yes. be related through marriage we're gonna track that down we're gonna find our common uh the common viviana don't you wish you could say that you relate to both john and stephanie <laughs> you could be a combo a little bit of john a little bit of stephanie yeah, my grandmother's last name was Venezia. So maybe in your spare time, someone that likes to do a little genealogy, who knows? We might. So, But I do know that we still have some relatives in the city of Avellino. So when I said Avellino, I think it is the city of uh, Avellino. But I will get you the street address and the civic number. Brav, brav, <laughs> brav, brav. Summer is for movies on Mediaset Italia. Every Sunday, pop some popcorn and enjoy Italian cinema on Mediaset Italia at 8.35 p.m. Eastern, 5.35 p.m. Pacific. June movie highlights include La Sconosciuta on June 11, Il Grande Salto on June 18, and Provincia Meccanica on June 25th. So go to the movies with Mediaset Italia this summer. Call your local television provider and ask for the channel today. You know, you had me thinking not that it's the, you know, it's the Italian American podcast, but I, all of us clearly love the intermixing of culture. I've been to uh, Turkey once only to Istanbul, but I, I find fascinating because when you go down to particularly the area around Bari and other parts of Puglia, the Greek influence is so strong. Do you see a lot? Do you learn a lot? I felt like I learned a lot when I was in Istanbul about obviously the Byzantine Roman experience and empire, but, uh, it's so overlaid, my experiences in parts of Puglia. Do you see a lot of Italy in Turkey? 
Well, the, um, actually, we do have some common factors. Well, obviously, the two capitals of the Roman Empire. So uh, they, it does have that uh, majestic uh, uh, and imposing uh, presence. Um, there is actually, a because the Turks have been in Italy, and we do have also some expressions, uh, Mambali Turkey, you know, it's like, which are the Turks are coming and so forth. Some of them actually settled in Puglia. So uh, there is a town where they are in Turkey, where there are like the most ancient uh, dwellings in uh, the town of Aran, if I remember correctly, they look like the uh, Trulli of Alberobello. Definitely not so um, pretty and touristy as the Trulli that we have in, uh, in Puglia, but they were actually set up and built um, with the same principle of quick dwellings for the workers of the fields. Um, now, rumors have it, uh, you know, and I'm referring more to our side of the peninsula, that those uh, quick dwellings were also uh, made not only for uh, the farmers, but also a little bit of tax evasions because you could wreck them very quickly and take them down as quickly. So you could, if you were a landowner, you could show that you had no earnings and no, those fields were not cultivated and so forth. But don't quote me on that. I'm not an historian. I'm just like- no, I've heard that too. Yeah, I've heard. I don't, I don't know yeah. if that's mythology or fact, but I've heard that too. Yeah, mm -hmm. the, so, the, the, the truly uh, so that, tax avoidance. Yeah. Um, obviously uh, the hospitality in Turkey, I would say that they're probably, you know, there is that sense of family hospitality, the guests and so forth that we do share. Um, appreciation for um, olive trees, olive oil, vegetables. Uh, so uh, different spices, obviously, but um, I do find a lot of uh, commonalities. And uh, so it's uh, it's very interesting. Yeah, I was there I uh, many, many, many years ago now. I was just out of college and I used to travel alone a lot and I would hire local tour guides and try to find people my age. So I hired a young lady who was a little bit around my age at the time uh, she was a great tour guide, took me all over, you know, very local stuff in Istanbul. And it was during Ramadan. And at the end, she said to me, you know, my husband and my family, we're all going to meet for dinner to break our fast. Would you like to join us? Which I thought was an incredibly flattering invitation. So I did. And uh, it felt very much like many of my adventures in Italy, where people have just said, OK, we're going to adopt you and take you in. And, I, you know, we started the episode talking about people criticizing different versions of Italianita. and if we could only get people to look inwardly at the many different variations of how we are Italian, and then you look outwardly at the commonalities that we share in so many cultures across the world, I think that that's my favorite thing about my Italianness is that because it's so diverse in so many different places, if you embrace that, it makes you a really good global participant because you're open mm -hmm. to so many different cultures, to seeing the similarities and finding the common threads because Italy's so diverse that you have to find common threads. Otherwise you couldn't think of yourself as Italian, you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, as I said, maybe we'll share a part of the trunk and then we branch off in our different directions based on where you plant that tree or what is next to you and what is getting influenced by. But uh, um, I'm very fortunate because I really see the full spectrum of, uh, you know, I created an Italian program in elementary and middle school a couple of years ago. So I have about 400 uh, young human beings in front of me from second grade to eighth grade. Then I have, you know, the 30, 40, 50 and 60 years old from Instituto Mondo Italiano. And then the ones that come from the cooking classes who might be, 
of Italian origin or not, just passionate, maybe they have been to Italy and uh, see how everyone embraces a part of it and makes it uh, their own. And uh, this is just a fact of life. You know, we um, here in Pittsburgh, there is uh, a very health community of young professionals that have come here. We all thought that we were going to be here for like six months. And now, you know, it's going on, you know, for me about 25 years. And uh, people have uh, built, you know, uh, had uh, their families and now, depending on whether the children came and at what age they came, they are a different type of Italians, Italians and Americans, and eventually Italian Americans. But they don't, they don't like us. No, it's not. Uh, yeah. I, 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 think... uh, I don't know. We haven't had a lot, of, a lot of the new Italian immigrants, especially from areas that didn't have traditional immigration to America. Mm-hmm. I mean, John, you disagree with that? They don't want to be associated I don't know. with Italian America, which is fine. I think they have a, more of an expat I don't know. I, I think, yeah, I think that they're expats. Certain places, the expat community stays together. But I think if they stay long enough, I find a lot of them, once they dip their toe in the water of Italian America, most people come out in a very um, celebratory sense. Like I've had a lot of people who are, you know, Italian expats who haven't necessarily made that decision yet that they're going to be Americans, right? They may go back. It's like you said, Viviana, you know, you, you think you're coming for six months and then all of a sudden, 25 years later, mm-hmm. you're here with roots in this territory. And I, 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 you know, we had lunch with the Council General not long ago in New York, and he was saying how much of a pleasant surprise the Italian American community has been to him. And uh, I know a lot of people who have come and opened businesses and embraced the community. Well, I, I think it just takes time. But let, let's be honest. He's the friendliest we've ever had. And the reason is he's from Palermo. <laughs> That's probably I'll I'll take that. Yeah, he's wonderful. Yeah, I think uh, you know what happens uh, to those of us who have uh, come here and maybe in a privileged position in comparison to uh, you know the the conditions of people hundred years ago where they had to really pack their things for a better life. Uh, we always have the choice of you know remaining in Italy, but obviously uh, we are here. And I don't know, maybe because of that people, you know, kind of observing people, um, it might take longer for the Italians uh, that are uh, here to put themselves, you have to give it uh, 10, 15, even 20 years to switch to the next phase of their Italian and American being. Um, Because the children, um, you know, some of them do speak the language, some of them don't. Um, because it's easier, especially, you know, when you send them to uh, schools here to adopt English. And isn't it exactly what happened 100 years ago? There was more of a choice, okay, because of assimilation. Here, it's a natural progression, but it will take them time to see that history just repeats itself. I agree. I think, like, recent immigrants, like one of my, one of our absolute best future guests, Sal off the boat, right? Sal off the boat, who's a social media star, right? Who who is originally from the province of Gazerta. He came from the same background as us in socioeconomic background in Italy. I assume from having spoken with him. I feel, and that's the beauty of Italy. Italy is a country that's very class conscious. And John and I have have had tasted that very much in our adventures there. And I think that a lot of the new Italians who come with these very high-end tech jobs. They look down on Italian-Americans, but they also look down on rural Italy. They look down on agricultural Italy. Um, some of them who are from the north look down on southern Italy. So it makes us even feel more Italian. 
So I think that it's even, it's part of their Italian prejudices. And Italy is a, a country of prejudices, exclusion, and class system. And it's, I don't think it's a bad thing. It's just Italy being Italy. And I, and I think like, I think Viviana makes a great point about time too. I'm always curious and it's probably hard to study because to my knowledge, there's not much writing on it, but I, I've been digging and I keep digging. And if you're out there and you've done the research, please come on the show and share with us. I'm often curious how much the change in U.S. immigration laws in 1924 meant to the identity of people, because you had so much back and forth, you know, these birds of passage before. I mean, obviously, we were here by that point in such significant numbers that the U.S. government decided to legislate against our presence. So it was a huge community, but a healthy portion were coming back and forth for seasonal work or planning to go back and retire. And then all of a sudden the law changed and you have, you know, I have, I have documents in my collection of people writing to the council general saying like, I, I need help getting my family in because I thought I was going to go back and the law changed. And so, you know, you have this sense after 1924, which lasts until I think 1967 when they finally changed the law again, that if you're here, you're here. And so you might as well surrender to it. And, and I, I oftentimes wonder how much that, generation of Italians that was here from 24 to 67 who could not even entertain the prospect of going back with without being excluded from returning. I wonder how much that changed them and, and our ancestors and kind of made I us. I never knew that, John. Yeah. Yeah. It's a big to me, it's a big part of our psychology that's difficult to unpack in a quantitative way. So then let's explain this again. So go over this one more time. So from 24 to 67. Italians were legislated against with ridiculously difficult quotas. So all those people that were going back every year or you know, planning to go back because, you know, it was an open door policy. You could kind of come and go. So if you went back to Italy and things didn't work, you could always come back to your life in America. After 1924, they can't. They're sort of trapped in, you know, you don't have that. So you have psych- to become an American citizen after 24 to be able to have the passport to come back. Yeah, to, to stay, right? To stay. Because if you right. leave, you're not coming back in. Because now you're quoted out. Uh, so, it's like, so, so, so you're saying like before the, the restrictions on immigration, which is very true. People could come back and forth, try America, didn't like it, go back to Italy, say should have stayed in America. And now you're saying this people went three times. I see what you're saying. So without that American passport after 24, you're up a creek. You're up a creek if you leave. Right. So you, you so you could you could be here as a resident and, and be on the pathway to citizenship. If you're here. But if you leave for whatever reason, you're probably not getting back in. So I think psychologically it changes the idea of what America is. And uh, that probably has a great impact on all of us who are descended from those people who made that decision like, OK, we're here. And, you know, for the foreseeable because they didn't know it was going to change in the late 60s. We're not leaving. Right. This is our new home. And I think that that's a big change. Uh, and I think that that impacts people. So I think the Italians who come now and like Viviana points out, they come from different economic backgrounds. Many of them are the educated industrial class or the you know, medical field or whatever it is, technology. I think for them, it's like, I'm going to come to America for better opportunity. But if things don't work, I can go back to Italy and then I can try again. And uh, that didn't exist back when you had to cross on a boat for weeks and the paperwork was more difficult. It, it just didn't exist. So I, I think there's a different mindset. It's just a, yeah, it's just a, a different experience, different needs, different historical uh, geopolitical situation. And, and again, uh, as, because I've been in this field um, kind of long enough where I have seen uh, things now repeating because when I came here, I was only 23. I actually did work for a couple of years at uh, Primo Magazine, but it was owned by a Belgium investor at that point. It was, um, it was a little different. It started in La Trobe 
and then was acquired. And uh, also, I had to really educate myself because all these uh, letters would come in to the editor and uh, of experiences that we don't have in uh, in the textbooks. I think also something that is missing is uh, documenting more of those experiences in the Italian textbooks, not just the picture in black and white with the family, you know, and the 15 kids that immigrate and leave the conversation there, because Italy is also a land of, um, it's a melting pot of people arriving from um, different uh, cultures and how we welcome them, how we exchange, how, you know, we, we grow from sharing the same the same land. And uh, so talking about a true Italian again uh, is becoming more difficult because I see between myself and my girlfriends, we all married to non-Italians. So the children now are Italian and Swedish, Italian, Brazilian. And, and uh, so uh, even though we claim Italianness, as I said, we, we are evolving. We just have to keep the conversation open on both sides and uh, continuing to do our best to dig deeper and um, not being judgmental, really, you know, listen to one another and learn from one another. Um, that's kind of uh, where uh, I find um, the magic of our mission, so to speak. You're absolutely right. I think that that's so admirable. I love hearing a guest talk like this. And, you know, you said before, the history repeats itself. And really, if you think about before unification, that's what an Italian was. We were a diasporic people, right? They go to Turkey and go to Istanbul, as we've said before. And there's a the Genovese quarter, right? And we were a people of diaspora all over the world. Our identity was not defined by passport or boundaries. It was a It was a shared commonality. So in some sense, we maybe returning to that. And I, I think that would be a wonderful thing. So you've been such a wonderful guest and I'm desperately curious to see all of the stuff that you guys have done at the Istituto. Can we find videos of some of these conferences? Where can we find your content? How can we participate with everything you've done? Uh, so uh, if you want to join in with our uh, uh, weekly uh, program forecast for the Italian Radio Hour, um, again, it's available on where you catch your favorite um, podcasts, but also on YouTube. And uh, um, a little bird told me that you guys uh, might be on uh, very soon. <laughs> <laughs> That's very right. Yep. <laughs> I hope, then, hope it goes well. Uh, yeah. And then the physical location, we are in Pittsburgh in a neighborhood is called Region Square. Uh, we're gearing up for summer camps and, uh, you know, the uh, programming. So also the language classes, that's something else that I wanted to mention during COVID, uh, obviously we had to switch online. And for us, it was pretty easy because I do come from a technology background in the audio video conferencing industry and the students were just uh, adapting very easily. So since then we have been uh, working with students from all over, uh, not just in Pittsburgh. So our classes are hybrid. Whoever can make it to our physical location comes physically. And then the other students connect and it's beautiful because we're expanding our reach and we're creating new friendships, new bonds, new little microcosmos. And uh, so if anyone is interested, obviously I have to plug it in. Uh, our language classes, uh, uh, we've been doing for 10 years and we've been here the longest and uh, we're very passionate about what we do. I, I suspect there's a lot of people out there in the audience who are interested. We get plenty of inquiries about where to learn the language in a productive and interactive way and this is a great recommendation so we're going to link all of these links for the radio hour for the istituto everything's going to be 
on our show page. So you, if you want to access it, I highly recommend taking a look. I know I'm going to be on the YouTube and uh, hopefully I'll be able to come out uh, and see some of what you guys do in the future over in Pittsburgh at the Istituto Mondo Italiano because it sounds like you're doing amazing work and uh, very fascinating stuff. I love Pittsburgh. We had a great time in Pittsburgh. I love Pittsburgh. I'm a big Pittsburgh. Not, they come back, come back. I'll come back. We got a lot of places to hit. We have a lot of friends there. Yeah. We have listeners that are there. We have friends. Paul Bokikio's out there. Sam Potti's out there. He makes nice coffee. He's from... Yeah. There's, oh, you know Sam, right? We could go out uh, there. We're best buddies. Mm-hmm. Tell him I said hello. Absolutely. He always asks for John whenever I'm out there. If it makes you feel any better, everybody asks for you when I see them. So. Well, that's nice. Yeah. Isn't that nice? They ask for you. They ask for me. My in-laws ask after, you know, I have a gabigola and sausages. My father-in-law and his. Your father-in-law is the best. You hit the lottery when you, you got yeah. your in-laws. He told me, did you give avocado the gabigola and the sausage yet? I'm like, I'm in trouble. It's been here for like two weeks in my fridge, so I got to get it to you. We got to make Nietzsche. I know. We got to do that. My mother-in-law. Did I say that right? Nietzsche? Yeah, Nietzsche. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're overdue. It always comes back to Abans at the end of the day. <laughs> That's the ruling compass of the whole show. It sure did, is. Did you figure out why? Because I'm, <laughs> I'm intermittent fasting today. Oh, I got Umanja and Gaba now. I got I know. It, you know. Uh, well, I hope everybody out there has enjoyed this incredible experience. I think this has been one of my favorite conversations we've had, and I look forward to more interaction with Viviana in the future. The Istituto Mondo Italiano, and uh, most importantly, the Italian Radio Hour. Set it up on your podcast list. If you like us, you're going to love them. And uh, Go out and support what Viviana is doing. Yeah. Listen to the – did I? am I pronouncing it right? The Radio Hour? The Italian Radio Hour, absolutely. The Italian Radio Hour. Listen to it. Repost it on social media. Yeah. Send it out to your friends, your family text chat. This is how we get ahead, by supporting each other so all our boats rise. These are ways that we all move together, jointly, united, hand-in-hand. And I'm done, John. Amen. Hand in hand. And now we're going to leave you because we're going to actually flip the microphone over and we're going to be guests on the Italian radio hour coming up. So hopefully you'll be uh, listening in when that airs as well. And you get double dose of us. You this get week. A double, double dose, dose of us. Lucky it you. It should be Christmas. <laughs> a double dose. That's right. It's our gift to you. A double dose. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. If you want your life to be great, see that you're born in Italiano, and your life will be great. See that you're born in Italiano.